Specifically you, dearest patron, the inner circle, subscribers to the BungaCast Reading Club. Welcome back, um, and welcome if you're new um, to the Reading Club. Just to tell you what we've done in the first half of the year, or the first third of the year, we discussed Martin Hagelin's excellent This Life, which was, um, I think, a very enriching discussion over the course of four different episodes, um, delving into the questions of mortality, free time, and what a politics would look like that was oriented around free time and a idea of secular faith. Anyway, um, I think it was really good, if I may say so myself. Um, George, Phil, hello. Um, I think you guys thought it was very good too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did. <laughs> I did, yeah. No, it was great. I um, The Hagland discussion was, um, was very good and uh, well worth revisiting, I think. And I think it's probably a book that, um, you know, we'll be going back to at different points as well. The connecting some of the kind of basic questions around freedom with questions of control who controls you the time Mm, of your life and i think that is you know that it's a productive way to think about um, politics in a very basic sense george yeah i also i mean we all agree it was good I think I did a particularly good job. Um, no, it was a you <laughs> no, know a cha- we don't a always we don't book. do this usually. So I think we'll I, pat I, ourselves on the back for five minutes. Most of what we listeners... do is shit. This was exceptional. This was this stood out by being actually good. Mm, okay, this was a well, diamond I was, in the rough. I thought my comments were very good. I mean, <laughs> so you know, yours and yours and Alex's comments were you know they were good filler content. I thought my insights were exceptionally germane. Oh. All killer, no filler. Um, no, I think, you know, it's an ambitious book, right? I mean, we talked about how he, you know, starts from, from some pretty basic philosophical premises and then tries to get all the way to, well, gets all the way to Martin Luther King in the end, but tries to get all the way to democratic um, socialism. Um, yeah, so there's some interesting, yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, I hope listeners have, have already listened to that and we can build on it with um, the discussion of, I'm not going to steal your thunder, though, Alex. What are we discussing this? Well, this no, because I mean, it, it is, it is. This is, um, you know, I kind of um, got together the 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 things for the first third, and and the second third is George. And just one thing to say, I guess, if Hegland was a big book, but a, a, an easy read um, and a quite enjoyable read, this is a much smaller book, quite a small book, but it is a tough read. And we're going to try to do our utmost to, I guess, explain and um, unpick it um, for listeners, George. Yeah. So this, I guess it's like the three semesters of, of the year or the three terms. So we're now in the middle term or whatever. Um, and today we're talking about legitimation and crisis. So <clears throat> the second term crisis is probably a bit more commonplace than the first, which is maybe interesting in itself. Um, and we'll be exploring both through Jürgen Habermas's 1973 classic, first published in English in 1976, Legitimation uh, you crisis. You have to pronounce it like more Teutonic and with an accent, George. Legitimation crisis. Um, <laughs> That's South African. I, I just meant Jürgen Habermas. That was literally South African, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with my accents? 
You gotta say it's... Jürgen Habermas. I'm not you're, gonna you're, do that. You're boring us, George, with that accent. Oh, good grief. Um, um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, um, let's say, deliberately mispronounce all German words with a with a very strong uh, and terrible English accent. Um, but no, Habermas is, um, yeah. Before we kind of go into a bit more about his, you know, his biography and his work, I thought it'd be useful to take our kind of collective temperature around this idea of crisis so I, I i was thinking about this a little bit i think you've got four four crisis options um or like four potential ways to characterize the sort of crisis tendencies we might have in capitalism today the first is uh, everything everything's fine it's always been fine always will be fine i.e there's no crisis it's just marxist whinging the second um that we're currently in a period of crisis these, these happen occasionally no one's perfect Maybe we had one in 2008 and we've, you know, we've maybe got one now. The third is we're, a condition, we're in a condition of perma-crisis. So we always always have been in crisis, always will be. We're always already in crisis or something like that. And then the fourth is that we're in a polycrisis. So we've had crisis, crises before. We had an economic one perhaps in 2008. But now we have a real doozy because it's an economic plus a political plus maybe a geopolitical. So it's got that kind of multidimensional uh, vibe to it. So of these four um positions what you know i thought we could revisit this at the end as well but where where are we starting from alex well i mean let me just start i guess with the most current kind of thing right the 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 especially amongst kind of policymakers, but not only um you know and intellectuals this idea of polycrisis and maybe we should dedicate an episode to the concept um might be a, a good idea because it's I mean, it's it's initially, you know, on face value, um, fairly convincing, right? There does seem to be all these crises piled up, but then it's like, okay, but what is actually new about that? Are we facing more crises today? Um, it, it, and it seems to suggest that the old-fashioned idea of crisis was like, you know, just an economic restricted thing and didn't ha- wasn't multidimensional. It's like, well, I think it's always been multidimensional. And then I guess to answer your question, I guess more directly, um, capitalism is crisis-ridden. It always has been and continues to be. Um, but I think, you know, it, as you hint at, it's something which has had disappeared a little bit from um, the political scene and also from intellectual reflections of it um, until, you know, the 2008 crisis because of that great moderation, as it was called. Um, you know, this big and boom and bust was a feature of unmanaged or liberal capitalism, um, you know, prior to the prior to the kind of mid 20th century. Um, and, you know, nowadays, I think everyone is aware of crisis. Things do feel like they're in crisis all the time um, without them, without things seeming severe or never coming to a head, I think, I guess is, is the point. So um, we have this weird situation of kind of permacrisis. Phil, would you agree? I think Alex kind of um, ranged effortlessly across those four uh, categories, and I'm not sure which one he may be landed on, but what, what would you, what would your thinking be? Mine is definitely not everything is fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Does anyone think everything is fine? Um, There's a guy drinking coffee, um, a dog maybe. He's He thinks everything's fine. You know, you might have seen that. that I that think, but the that point guy. that that's shared so widely is maybe indication that, you know, it's a it, it's a position which everyone satirizes. I don't no, know. If it's anyone, an interesting. Yeah. It is a genuinely interesting, you know, question. I think, and it is worth reflecting on a bit. So you know, there's the old joke like Marxists have predict correctly predicted um, five of the most recent you know 
three economic crises. Nine so, of the last four, I think, is the canonical yeah, whatever, way to say. Yeah, whatever, really, the, whatever really, the number is. Really delivered in a comic way there, Phil. <laughs> it's a, not a very a, funny joke. Bit of panache. So, it's not a very funny joke, but the point is like, you know, the overprediction of crisis is something which is associated with the left. Um, but it is also a word which is overused, you know, in different contexts. And it's worth thinking about um, what the different contexts are in which it is used. So I remember, um, you know, I mean, I suppose there's two, two, two events stick in my mind where I was taken a where I was taken aback by how relaxed some other people were. So this was in the aftermath of Brexit, um, involved in um, a network. I mean, some you know regular listeners of the podcast will know a uh, network called The Full Brexit. And in the people that we were kind of discussing to go, we were discussing with the various members of the network, kind of some joint positions that would go on the website to go with, the, with this particular campaigning network. And... Um, you know, uh, one some of the language about we wanted to talk about the decay of British political institutions and public life, and one of the other um, participants said, "No, this is like student Marxist student union boilerplate." You know, and I thought at the time, "Okay, ouch," um, but. As it turned out, you know, like it seems the view that British public institutions were and political institutions were genuinely, um, you know, they went through this kind of tortuous wrenching process, which, you know, as far as I know, parliamentary historians and constitutional historians and legal historians said it was only comparable to the breakup of the Tories and the Whigs and the crisis over um, the Corn Laws in the 18 in the first half of the 19th century or perhaps the home rule crisis in the run up to the first world war so at least at the parliamentary level you know the kind of the marxist boilerplate language seemed appropriate in the aftermath of the brexit referendum i think the difference is um you know so it depends on what level you're talking about crisis right so the economic crisis or the great it wasn't actually called i mean it was called the crisis of the time but what it's retrospectively called is the great financial crash and i think that's important the gfc right is the kind of language that we seem to have settled on to discuss 2008 and i think that's important because it didn't you know like it was dealt with quite efficiently at the time and the the kind of the long tail of its consequences, its political consequences were only felt much later. I think, in fact, you know, kind of in the mid 2010s and later than that, right? So there was a delay of about, you know, nearly 10 years in terms of its political consequences. And so perhaps that's why it wasn't really a crisis, you know, a financial crisis and a financial crash, but not really a general kind of systemic crisis. And just to build a tiny thing on that, I think it, it's also noteworthy that the crisis manifested itself most obviously as a political one. It shifted it into the political realm um, because the economic one was to a certain degree um, kind of buffered by the huge bailouts. Well, yeah. So, so you did not get the shake was, out and whatever that you would well, expect. Well, but that's, you know, that's what I'm saying, right? So the fact was that politically um, there was 
the capacity for a tremendous kind of policy coordination between the central banks under American leadership. Um, you know, uh, China was much less of a kind of competitor to the states back in 2008, and the Chinese economy was also just smaller. And so in those, and also you just had less um, domestic kind of turmoil. And so in that context, it was much easier to coordinate a response and to contain its consequences, not least with low interest mm. rates, right? So, I mean, I'm thinking out loud here, I suppose. Um, I suppose, so I think the difference is like that what we're experiencing now and oh, so let me, I mean, let me get this straight, you know, so I don't know, say like, say 10 years ago, we'll say in 2007, you'd say there's a crisis because, um, you know, like there's a bust up in this kind of technocratic centrist government between two of its leading figures. Nobody would yeah. care. Yeah, nothing mm. would matter. It would have no effect on people's incomes. It would have very little, no effect on people's living standards. You'd still be able to borrow. You'd still expect your house price to go up in value. You'd still be able to borrow cheaply as well, you know, and it would be fine, you know, like there would be no real consequence. Whereas I think the difference is now, we understand that the crisis is deeper and the language of it, though, we don't really have the language to capture this kind of deeper level. And so there's this kind of neologism of Adam Tuzes, or at least he's the one that's most associated with it, which is polycrisis. Before we move on, I want to make a just quick shout out for one of our um, guests that we had on, Albena Zmanova, who put forward the idea that we're in a crisis of crisis. Um, which was acute, but I think insightful way of saying that crises don't lead to systemic transformations as they did in the past. Um, and so I think that's also kind of struggling with this same question as to how far do we see kind of systemic transformation as a consequence of these of this kind of deep-rooted turmoil. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really excellent point and i guess that's my you know my kind of two cents or my starting point is very much that we have some elements of crisis today but the important one that it uh, seems to feel or to to look likely to lead to um to change that's not not present so there must be something i guess looking at older kind of models or understanding of of crisis like like habermas's from from the kind of early 70s i think it could be really interesting to see what applies and what doesn't because it feels like you could describe it there's a crisis of legitimacy there's not very high support um for political institutions of various different sorts but sort of so what it doesn't have any resolution and i guess that you know we can dig into this a bit more do do crises have to have uh resolutions or have to lead to that um yeah i mean that's a that is a that is a question for us to to unpick well hello listener i hope you like what you're hearing it's a short excerpt from an episode that's available only to subscribers want to support bungacast and get at least two original episodes a month sign up at patreon.com slash bungacast right now five dollar a month patrons get access to exclusive episodes like our in-depth analyses of present history you know, the big stuff that's happening right now. As well as chats with our regular guests, extended interviews with the key thinkers trying to understand our world today, and much more. For $10 a month, you join the BungoCast Reading Club, the place for those of us who are serious about equipping ourselves with the necessary intellectual tools for understanding the world and seeking to change it. Phil, George, and myself, Alex, look forward to seeing you there. Patreon.com slash BungoCast.